Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to Slime House. My name is Jared. I'm Jasper. I'm Max. I'm Nelson. Today, we are talking about the 1996 film House Arrest, which was directed by Harry Weiner, written by Michael Hitchcock, and has quite a colorful cast, including Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Pollock, Wallace Shawn, and Christopher McDonald. And it has some then younger stars in the film as well, such as Kyle Howard, Amy Sakazitz, Herbert Russell, who is hilarious on Twitter, and then probably most notably, a young Jennifer Love Hewitt. The film synopsis is young boy and his little sister who find out that their parents are planning to separate. So they trick their parents into going to the basement for a party and then they lock them in there to work out their problems. Word of mouth gets out and the friends of these kids end up bringing their parents into this prison of sorts. What do you do when your parents have problems? My parents are getting separated. Hang on, Dad. You ground them. What? You guys are going to stay down there a while. Now everyone's going to do it. You take your dad, I'll take mine. Till their parents learn a lesson. This is great. Uh-huh. Okay, kids, come out with your hands up. House Arrest. It's mine! Later. Rated PG. Starts Wednesday, August 7th. This was an interesting one because I'd never really heard of this movie until recently. I think kind of when we were originally going over like the list of possible movies for this, I even totally skimmed over it. Like didn't even put it on the 100, 200 movie consideration list we had. But quite a pleasant surprise in terms of how it turned out. It's, it's definitely a prime slime movie for two reasons. One, coming out in that golden age starting in the mid-90s that kind of continued on into the late, the earlier thousands, but also just in terms of aesthetic, themes, just all around kind of fun. It just feels like a, a very prime movie of the genre. Yeah, similarly, this was partially just because of our age. We were just a little too young for this movie. to Like, we weren't really old enough to see this in theaters, probably, or, or it's unlikely. And so it wasn't one that I knew the poster of or or even I don't think I had ever seen the cover at a blockbuster or anything like that. And I agree. I think this is kind of what Slimehouse is all about in a lot of ways. It's just kind of got so many of the hijinks and the, the kind of wish fulfillment logic of like you kind of wish you could do this, even though you obviously can't. But it's sort of fun to see like what if you locked your parents in the basement and your friend's parents in the basement. Hilarity ensues. It's really fun. It's it's For me, it's as good as Slimehouse gets in terms of what it has to offer. And I do agree. This is a, a truly a, a prime time slime. Yeah, I too. I'd never heard of the movie. And yeah, I think it fits the Slimehouse mold to a T more than almost anything we've covered so far on this podcast. Max, it wasn't even on your list, was it? No, yeah, I'd I'd never even heard of it until we were looking at the Christopher McDonald filmography. Uh, It's on the list now. I added it. Hell yeah! (laughs) I mean, I think that's that to me is so fun that your list is three hundred ninety something movies and nothing to scoff at there. But there are still these Slimehouse movies that are true movies. Not we're not just talking about direct to video or TV shows or whatever. But there are even more Slimehouse movies that exist that aren't a stretch of the imagination to put in Slimehouse. Like, this isn't one that you you could debate, well, maybe it's Slimehouse, maybe it's not. This is kind of as much of a Slimehouse movie as Max Keeble's Big Move or Big Fat Liar. Yeah, for sure. It had. I feel like it had some similarities to Max Keeble as far as, like, a lot of the jokes in it. But, yeah, th- that list is pretty much just the Slimehouse movies I could think of off the top of my head and with a little bit of research. So there's, like, probably double the amount and probably more of movies we've never heard of i think a lot about how the first few movies we talked about were john hughes adjacent movies and in particular weird science i think it's the last movie we dedicated a whole episode to that's a movie where like a lot of some of those these few movies mentioned home alone earlier and then also i think ferris bueller comes up a lot as a talking point and it probably will hear because of um, some sort of choices made at the beginning and end of the movie the parents are kind of like aloof and they're not really central characters um, here, this kind of upends that, and the, the parents are really um, a very central part of the story and the dynamics at play. It's cool to like kind of jump to a movie where I think 
as we mentioned, part of the appeal was that Christopher McDonald was involved, but it kind of has a nice contrast to what we've talked about so far in terms of the, how parents are represented in these movies. And it shows that you can do different things with that in Slimehouse films. I mean, in terms of kind of the parents kind of kicking it off there, I think there's two kind of parental themes that in House Arrest that I think are really kind of keys to a lot of the films in the in this era and genre. One on the shorter end is that a lot of these movies seem to be centered around divorce or parents either separating or who have divorced and you know the kid is struggling with a stepdad or stepmom. Partially I think that's just because it's an easy way to discuss the the theme of family which is so prevalent in you know children's lives and two also you know in the 90s divorce rates were much higher than they'd ever been so i think it was a more common household problem that a lot of children and parents dealing with so it's interesting to see this portrayal of divorce permeate through a lot of these children's movies when it's actually a very serious familial thing and then kind of the second one that I was thinking of, which I think is actually a very key tenet of a lot of these movies, is in a lot of these kind of kids taking over movies or kids kind of controlling the narrative movies, they're the ones teaching the parents a lesson as opposed to the kids being the ones who are learning in the movie. Even though, like, obviously the kids and younger characters learn something in the, at the end of the movie. The kind of crux of the movie is, look what kids can teach adults. And I think that that's a very, very key thing to remember, especially through a lot of Slimehouse movies, because these are movies for kids that cater to the idea that, hey kids, look, you can do so many things. One, change, I don't want to say change the world, but you have the power to you know make decisions for yourself and influence the decisions of others, which I think is a super, super key, to me, defining factor in a lot of Slimehouse. I think that's one of the aha moments, because my interest in this, just speaking broadly about the podcast, I want to kind of dissect what is Slimehouse and how do you define Slimehouse to the layperson besides just showing them the 300 plus movie list? What more specifically makes Slimehouse? And I, I agree, I think the kids teaching i mean the kids learn stuff themselves but very much in the way a protagonist of a movie learns a lesson you know the protagonist grows as the movie goes on but the parents are often kind of buffoon characters that have to have the parent or have to have the kid you know really show them their way or whatever and and there's also to add to that this movie starts with two parents who aren't really bad the main character's parents are not bad guys but they're both overworked and kind of have lost their way in their love life. The kids' job, especially for the main parents, are to show the parents what they, like kind of the, bring them back to that innocence of, you know, their early marriage. And that's kind of what they do. Yeah, I mean, kind of the way, the, one of the main ways I've always looked at Slimehouse is kind of like wish fulfillment for the viewing audience of just like a very like middle class, like suburban child. And I feel like this movie really represents that tenet of Slimehouse well in that, like, it kind of balances it when not only are the kids partying and, like, going crazy in the house and, like, building traps and they're super, like, smart, they're also fixing the marriage successfully. They're having a lot of fun going crazy, taking over the house, but then also they're solving, like, a major complex issue in the process as well. I think the technology of the kids like setting up the TVs and the cameras in, in the basement and talking to the adults through the television is very Jerry Springer-esque and like reality TV Big Brother-esque, which I thought was really interesting. And it, I mean, on one hand, it directly relates to this, like the kids are teaching the parents a lesson and they're the counselors. They're the ones facilitating the parents discussing their marriage. But then on the flip side, it's also this idea of these kids setting up this incredible household video set, you know, TV camera setup that at the time I would have been like, shit, I want to do that. Like, dad, can we make this? And that's important because you couldn't. It's not, Home Alone 3 is the most guilty of this. You, It's technology that didn't yet exist, that now is commonplace. I mean, that's a Zoom call basically, but in this era, having live stream video 
that way. We quite, and with sound too, be really difficult to set up. But I think that movies allowed this wish fantasy of like, wow, wouldn't it be dope if we had like a TV studio in our house? Yeah, and speaking on that kind of idea of like a band of misfits, I think another strong pillar of, of, of the genre that occurs a lot in these movies is the kids being a band of misfits that come together. Here you have the nerdier kind of smart kid who's not super cool in school, who gets tossed into trash cans, who hangs out with the really nerdy kid who makes really cool videos with his really high-tech editing software in the very beginning, who then become friends with the bullies because the bully realizes, oh, this kid's pretty smart. He found a way to lock up my parents in the basement. And then you have the hot girl at school who the nerd really likes who decides, oh, you know what? Like, you're kind of cute. Can I lock my mom in the basement too? You know, so it's... And kind of even speaking back to weird science and i mean countless other slimehouse movies you know this idea of like the nerdy guy gets the girl in the end is very very kind of pervasive throughout this just thematically fits so well within the genre and then on top of that just being super high concept kind of what we were saying that wish fulfillment just like being such a high concept plot that is so absurd but as a kid you're like mm, maybe that's possible maybe i can lock my parents in the bedroom the first movie that I think of that also kind of fits this, whether it's slimy or not, is up for debate, but something like Small Soldiers, where it's like, after seeing that, I was like, dang, what if my toys actually do come to life? When you're a kid, that suspension of disbelief. I remember saying to a friend of mine, like, we should switch places. Like, you pretend to be me and I'll pretend to be you because I had just seen The Parent Trap. And it just seemed plausible that that could actually get away with. And we weren't even twins or anything like that, but just it makes it feel like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. We can do that, too. You know, and Max Keeble, like, take over the school, that kind of attitude of, you know, kid anarchy. The protagonists in this movie, compared to Weird Science, I mean, their nerdiness is definitely not as exaggerated. And I think they're more of like a typical scrawny, you know, everyday American high schooler kid. I think one point he has this, he has this bowl cut that is just like very just peak slime house it's just like it's round it's beautiful and like he's you know he's not like a programmer or anything like the guys in weird science like you know he's not wearing glasses i think he's just i i think like the setting in the movie um being in like small town ohio i just think this is like a movie about like an everyday kid yeah and that's kind of max keeble that's kind of i mean i think it's just it's supposed to be the everyman, but for the kid version of that. And, and, you know, he's also probably a freshman in high school. He's sort of like 14 at the most. They need to do that to make the bully, who's definitely like probably like a 20-year-old senior, you know, like they make him even more scary, you know, up against this kind of prepubescent kid. And, you know, we were talking about one of our list things that we're going to be adding is just the sort of character tropes and character profiles so to speak and i think we could even make a case for there being an everyman but the slime house edition so an everyman for slime house is like a 14 year old boy or a 12 year old yeah boy. i feel like it's kind of this is like a point in time i feel like movies would have the really nerdy nerds who would be like the weird science kids or like saved by the bell with like a screech type character and then if you wanted to have a more relatable like middle ground nerd you'd have the av club kids and that's kind of feels like what this is more grounded in on that note of the bully too i to me he was such a like slime house instigator <laughs> in some ways because the movie is like in the first like half hour it's like okay there's this wacky concept of like this kid locking his parents in the basement it's like mostly just the concept that you know, kind of fits into the wheelhouse. But then like when Krupp, I think is his name, TJ Krupp kind of comes into the movie and realizes, oh, I'm gonna lock my parents in this kid's basement too and like become his friend. Then he like brings in snakes and he has like a weird car that looks kind of like the mystery machine. Then they start, you know, making weird pancakes in the kitchen and like having pizza parties and stuff like that. So it's like, <laughs> to me he felt like 
like he he brings in the bucket of slime and just dumps it on the movie you know <laughs> yeah, like he re- he's the human like he's the slime house personified yeah. he just <laughs> and he has these just like goofy expressions that he always has on his face there's a point in the movie that's actually very very funny where i think they're setting the table for dinner oh yes let's talk about that and he like goes to the cabinet and while the song is playing he does a thumbs up to the camera right on cue with like a trumpet it's so like perfect i it, it's like a minute moment but i was like oh my god Wait, that's not even the minute moment of that moment that i latched onto. so they're saying like let's set the table a fun way or whatever and he's tossing the plates to everyone one kid at a time and they're going down the line and then suddenly he tosses it to himself in like this crazy yeah. edit kind of breaking oh. the fourth wall gag and they just roll with it and keep going yes oh, that was okay. actually a very good gag <laughs> That was just a very like, good guy. Like, so few <laughs> movies could get away with that without just destroying the fabric of authenticity. And yet in this one, just like, oh, yeah, silly me threw a plate to myself somehow. Yeah, all those scenes were so or, were fun because they were like very long. They'd go on like the length of the entire song and just it felt like they just like told the kid actors to go like have some fun and then we'll film it. Like because like that gag in particular felt like something that like kids would come up with as something funny to do in like something they were shooting. So yeah it just felt like they just kind of felt more unprompted and unscripted than anything in the movie. Yeah and a, and a Slimehouse trope that I'm really, I feel like every movie we see reinforces it is that the relationship of food is so important in these movies, so much more than any other genre I can think of, where at first I think I was like, oh, food, I sort of like wrote down food just like because they have food comes into play. And then it comes in full slime force when the kids decide to make breakfast for their parents. And it's like just throw in all the junk food and blend it together and make them into patties and yeah like that. yeah it's like crunchberry burgers i think is what like they serve them eventually yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that to me feels like and that's also kind of a wish fulfillment thing of like kids make dinner and this is the best you know and that is and the funny and <laughs> the funny part to me was like when the adults like like ew, uh, and then they take a bite, and they're like, "Ooh, do you got any more?" Like the adults actually really like it. Yeah, and junk food is so you know you can almost see the Nickelodeon commercials for cereal airing between it takes, you know, and and these kind of thing. Yeah, that it was when the junk that junk food kitchen scene was definitely kind of when I was like, okay, this is this is a five out of five you know, slime house. <laughs> and then at one point they have like a pizza party or something too. I can't remember the specifics, but I also specifically remember them just like watching cartoons and eating pizza, which is... I mean, pizza is the slime... Like if you were, if you were to serve... A, if you were to have a slime house party, you would serve pizza, you know, and that's the food for sure. Some Capri Sun. I, I realized what I... Because I wrote down... When I wrote on food, it was because they were just coming home with groceries and there was a very prominent kind of like Coca-Cola one liter. And I feel like that's something that in this era, it was sort of before healthiness got kind of in with these upper middle class families. Because, you know, nowadays they would not like an this white ass family would not serve like Coca-Cola, at least probably not. They might serve like LaCroix or something a little more healthy oriented, you know, but in this era, it's like Coca-Cola reigns supreme. And that's just the beginning, you know, let alone all the junk food that ensues later on. And on that note, too, I think that, like, just consumer products were are a big thing in these movies. Like, yes. more blatant product placement is not as apparent in more contemporary movies, whereas in this era, it was everywhere. The 80s and 90s especially, just, like, all over the place, just, like, brands, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola, Pepsi... Even just like in the script, they would call out like brand names. So I think that that's like a very, very apparent thing. Totally. Yeah, I I hadn't written it down. It was one of the movies we watched before we really started this project, but I was writing down the brands and eventually I just stopped because it was just too many. And maybe it's because it's more obvious uh, since the brands are not ones we see as often anymore. Not, Not Coke, but other ones. But I also think in this era, it was before there was any type of negative backlash with soda. In this era, there's nothing wrong with it. It's like 
Clinton and Reagan were both just like capitalism baby, you know, in the most brash way possible. Yeah, and I feel like people weren't really as, like viewers were not as aware of product placement as like something intentionally like in movies. So when they saw products in movies where like labels were facing the camera and all that, for the most part, they just thought like, that's what people eat, that's what people drink, that's like what's in the movie. But I feel like... When did Wayne's World come out? Because that has like some <laughs> self, like self-referential, like product placement. And I feel like, 1992, I believe. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a turning point in the way people view product placement. Because now, it's like a running joke with even like just the most average moviegoer about like when you spot product placement in a movie. But I feel like back then it was just sort of there was so much like unbashed consumerism that it was not really like noteworthy. Yeah, there's um I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Evolution, uh, Ivan Reitman. Oh, I've seen that. That was part of the all the Sean William Scott movies I watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not when it came out, not in a while. Yeah, it's it's an all time. I don't even want to say guilty pleasure because I just legitimately think it's a very fun, just like alien sci fi comedy. But there's a very funny bit about head and shoulder shampoo in that movie that is recurring throughout the entire movie and then at the end of the movie spoiler alert they do a fake commercial for head and shoulders so i feel like it was like oh yeah head and shoulders like i always like to imagine head and shoulders being like oh yeah like you can use their product in the movie but you have to like have a commercial in the movie too (laughs) yeah it's like it's like in a in, in jack and jill there's like Dunk-a-chino. the Adam Sandler movie. What's yeah, the Dunkachino. Yeah. It's like the whole movie is about like joking about like Dunkin' Donuts commercials, but then like the movie ends with an actual Dunkin' Donuts commercial <laughs> as well. And I, I think Jack and Jill, I'd say, is a Slimehouse film as well. I think we could get to that. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I have not either. That's a good mm. good one for later. It's basically the commercial for Dunkin' Donuts is like done by Al Pacino and he's advertising the Dunkin' Yeah, he's playing himself and he's like one of the main characters of the movie is Al Pacino. <laughs> That's very funny. And the kids cooking is sort of a, a representation of the wish fulfillment part of this movie that is the kids get the house basically, you know. The parents are stuck in the basement. Which immediately, as soon as they get down to the basement and it's really well decorated with Hawaiian stuff, I was like, that's something that I remember watching these movies as a kid and thinking was awesome was the kind of decoration and the ability that the kids could like put together this tropical setup in two hours after school. Because that's the kind of thing I would see as a kid and be like, oh, we could do that. But little did I know that like this is a professionally done thing to made to look like kids have done it. And that's just the beginning of parents locked in the basement, bolted down with like an iron clad thing. And now the kind of rest of the house is for the kids and mayhem ensues. There's a lot in this movie about you know, the kids kind of reorganizing the house and kind of putting in their own little booby traps, in particular contraption outside by the trees that like picks people up in, in the uh, garden. There's all of the household items, uh, and also the you know I think we talked about the squirt gun. Have we? Like the what? No, we have not. Squirt. Oh wow. Okay. So there's the squirt gun that the kids use in the house and make a mess all over the place. But in my I, another big slime house trip that shows up in this, and I think it's one. It, I, I guess it's part of the dinner scene too, but it's right at the end. There's this thing that's set up in the script about uh, Jamie Lee Curtis having this wine that she's been holding on to for a very long time. The champagne. The champagne. They eventually, while she's locked in the basement, they break out the champagne, no pun intended, and try it. And this is like a thing in a lot of kids' movies. They try the alcohol and they spit it out because it's not what they thought. It was alcohol is very hyped up when you're that age and um, you, you have this expectation of what it's going to be like. And it's not that. It's actually not very fun to drink um, in terms of yeah, taste. Yeah, it had a good like... There was a very good, like, spit take after yes. they drank the champagne, yes. where there was, like, the pause for a second, then, like, the simultaneous spitting out. I feel like that's a Slimehouse gag we could start indexing, because I feel like I've definitely seen it in more than one thing. Totally. And there's this this kind of Chekhov's, Chekhov's accident, we'll call it, where... Or no, Chekhov's precious item, where if you introduce something in Act 1 that is, like, the special thing not to mess up, you know that it's going to get destroyed, however. So, like, 
the mom has been saving the champagne for their whenever, and we know that that champagne is going to get broken open, you know, and all that. And another one I thought of, like Cat in the Hat, you know, it's like, don't touch the living room. Well, we knew the living room was going to just get annihilated, you know, and so <laughs> these are these are movies that they know, like if they set something up that's important, we know it's... Yeah, it's going to be in disrepair at some point in the movie. I actually thought the champagne being drank by the kids would be a bigger source of conflict in the movie based on like how much they hyped it up. but Yeah, they just kind of <laughs> drank it and then spit it out, and that was yeah. kind of the end. And Jamie Lee Curtis was yeah, like, like a, you guys drank the champagne? And that was about it. You know, there was nothing. Well, it, it, it kind of pivoted quite quite well, in my opinion, from a writing perspective, is that then the adults start drinking, and then they kind of relax, and it's the beginning of them like greasing the wheels and be like, you know what? This isn't so bad after all. I love you. And kind of... I, so I thought they... The pivot there was really interesting that, yeah, it, it wasn't a disaster. It ends up giving Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Pollack an excuse to drink and share with their new uh, cellmates and enjoy themselves. And, and there's the line, um, I'm on heroin and Stacy's on crack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was so baffled by that line because it was just, I, I forget what it was in reference to, but it just, the kids saying that felt so out of the blue. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, I think it's the main character played by Kyle Howard, if he didn't... Grover. Grover. I wouldn't be surprised if Grover didn't even know what heroin was. Yeah. Like, it was just something the writer was like, oh, say uh, <laughs> say that you're on heroin and your sister's on Yeah, because, I mean, there's jokes in a lot of stuff where, like, they'll say, like, someone's on drugs, but it was weird to hear in a movie that otherwise was, like, Pretty wholesome, not even much profanity or anything. Just have just dropped this like heroin and crack <laughs> joke. <laughs> yeah, it was that was very, very bizarre. Grover, are you on drugs? Yeah, I, I'm on heroin and Stacy's on crack. No, stop. You can't do this. Listen, dude, your parents aren't the only ones with problems, okay? My dad treats mom like dirt. Yeah, my dad's coming up on a second year with Louise. So what? So he always gets divorced on his second year. You know that. It's like clockwork. Come on, girls. We'll do some massive group therapy on him. It'll be fun. No. Going back to the household items chat, to me, that's another really big kind of tenet of Slimehouse's kids being able to, and we talked about this with Weird Science and even a little bit with Flubber, being able to create kind of fantastic things and objects and inventions with the things within your house is such a big recurring theme. You know, we see it in, Home Alone, too. We see it in even movies like Toy Story, which isn't a, a Slimehouse movie. That idea to me as a kid was always really cool. And I and I literally took that concept and like would make weird toys and like fake guns, weird stuff to play with the kids in the neighborhood, just like out of things that were in the garage that my dad said I could use because he was going to toss them, you know. And kind of that industriousness, I think, and creativity that, that is pushed through that idea I think was also very kind of alive and well in the 90s especially that idea of use your hands build something cool it, it kind of it kind of goes off that idea of like science being really popular and, and that idea of engineering being really popular in that time as well but I think it's something that I always find really cool to see what kooky inventions the kids come up with. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure every single movie we've watched so far has involved Rube Goldberg machines or like DIY gadgets of some kinds, which I feel like this that's, might be the only thing that's been present, the tropes we talked about that's been present in every, like all the movies we've watched and talked about so far. And this had both. It had the traps and then it had the bullies weird car battery, like elect like electrocution machines. There's got to be like a Slimehouse movie coming down the pipeline where like the high concept thing they're building toys with is like the 3d printer it's just that much easier nowadays yeah let me counter that and say i think that the and i remember talking about this with jasper a long time ago that as soon as the uh computer became not just like an anomaly a thing you were on for 20 minutes a day as soon as the computer became just the thing where you could do everything and the internet became just omnipresent you know kids lost interest or at least vision like you don't see movies with kids making gadgets out of household items anymore because whatever you can do on your iphone is way more sophisticated and complicated and it's not visually interesting at all but i think nowadays kids are doing the same thing but just minecraft you know and it's not it doesn't make for cinema at all 
and we don't see Slimehouse movies the way we used to, but I think it would be really hard to get away with this and make it feel plausible now because I think the kids, they're coders now, you know, as opposed to uh, engineers. I mean, I think that's a really good point. I also have kind of talked about how the computer kind of killed the spy genre for a minute too because a lot of these spy movies were were centered around cool gadgetry and who had the most high-tech inventions that could help them catch the bad guy and you know until casino royale kind of reinvented that i think that that spy genre was just totally crushed and that's a big you know there's a lot of slimy spy movies too agent cody banks the tuxedo spy kids so that's another episode for another day stop it what are they doing here well i couldn't leave them at home here you go man oh yes such a big doggy you brought cosmo well uh, dj brought spot say hi spot a snake a constrictor do we want to just do a quick roundup of tropes that we noticed? I have so many tropes for, <laughs> I have tropes for days on this one. <laughs> we can do a two rounder then. So Nelson, do you want to start with your first one? Yeah. So this is one that Sam mentioned in our first episode, but I think is even more important. And I'm going to name it for now, the innocent bystander trope. And that is that these movies often have an outside party that's trying to figure out what the hell is going on, but they can't. And in Flubber, it's the little kid. In this one, it's the cop who lives across the street and is sort of innocently like, what the heck is all that noise, you know, or whatever, but can't figure it out. And this is a comedic tool to make a relatable kind of character that's sort of an outside party, an innocent bystander who watches the mayhem from afar. One of, This one's a kind of a silly one, but something you see a lot in these kids' movies are conga lines. <laughs> <laughs> I think I noticed as a kid because I always thought they were really stupid. Like people would do them at like slumber parties or like bar mitzvahs. I always thought they were so dumb. And And in these movies, they show up all the time. Like, oh yeah, there's like a fun dance montage scene. So how do we get all the kids together in one shot? Oh, throw them in a conga line you know so we can get them all dancing funny yeah because i feel like it's not something that's commonly done like I, I i don't see them in real life often but yeah in these movies they're showing up all the time the con anytime you're having fun you got to form a line and start just like <laughs> <laughs> moving your arms around <laughs> kind of in line with the music a lot of the diegetic music and sometimes non-diegetic music in these movies slimehouse movies is these needle drops that are very like boomer focused and particularly like 70s kind of soul or funk r&b stuff that they grew up with um three i caught in this movie the opening credits are set to love will keep us together by Captain and Tenile. I don't know if I'm pronouncing the last name. This the Captain it's Captain Tenil. and Tenile. Okay. Captain oh, and Tenile. Captain right. Tenile. So that's that. That's one. That's like the what the love song for one of the couples. Another couple, Donald and his wife. Their um, wedding song is mentioned as um, "Love Roller Coaster" by the Ohio Players, which also plays a point in this movie. And then another point in the basement, there's um, It's Not Unusual by Tom Jones, which is a song that got played a lot on the radio when I was a kid growing up, uh, K Earth 101, uh, Orange County, but that's another thing. But I still listen to it. No, that, yeah. was, that was Inland, Inland oh, Empire. Oh, you guys got too. too huh? It's still on. I mean. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think a lot of like Slamhouse movies kind of entice the parents that are taking their kids because they got these like kind of choice cuts. Another movie that's Slamhouse that I, you know, think of that does this is baby geniuses because there's a scene where uh, the baby dances to staying alive but because you know remember saturday night fever anybody that's the thing i'll point out about slime house i think this movie more so than other slime movies is like i think it puts more emphasis on the parents and treats them as like you know real people who like have tastes and desires and you know i think part of that is like the, the their taste in music and you know the songs that the you know, like they're couple songs. It also kind of reminds me, this movie especially with a lot of the kind of like 70s needle drops, it reminds me of The Big Chill, uh, which is a similar movie about couple. I mean, that The Big Chill, which is a very adult movie, is about, you know, all these college friends getting together, I think 25 years after they've graduated. Um, and they put on a bunch of old 60s Motown records and dance and, you know, oh, how good were the 60s? And this, in the same vein, reminded me of that idea of 
all these adults down in the basement, not by choice, but the music is what brings them, you know, together and makes helps them fall in love again. Because oh, Ohio players, that was our song, you know, like yeah. the power of music. Yeah, I feel like at this point there was like a weird preoccupation with older like doo-wop and R&B music. I don't know if it was like a Back to the Future effect or something, but for some reason a lot of stuff targeted towards kids would use a lot of either 70s or like 50s, 60s music. I don't know what kids were really listening to at this time, but it definitely wasn't this. And like, they're like Tom Jones, but that's what you see show up in these. And like, another thing is that like the non-Dijag music, that were the songs that play that were like, I think were pre-written for the movie. A lot of songs from Richard Rudolph and Michael Cimbello. They kind of have this very like late 80s, early 90s kind of sheen. They kind of sound like pop rock of that time. Like the song that plays when they're making dinner. Like, I just think that's very, like, it has that kind of cheesy aesthetic that, of music at the time. So I think there's a real contrast between, like, the Boomer Neal drops we're talking about earlier and then also, like, the, the music that's kind of more recent at the time of when this movie was made um, that I think is also endearing and, part, and slimy. So the composer actually did quite a few slime house. He did Harry and the Hendersons, Monster Squad, which were late 80s, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Baby's Day Out, Simple Wish. A, a lot of these not super popular Slimehouse stuff, but definitely within the wheelhouse and widely known. And we talked about Danny Elfman, too, in the last two episodes. I think that, to me, the music especially is something that really... It really accentuates the Slimehouse aesthetic so much. I think a, a movie that recently I watched that made me realize that was Monkey Trouble, which actually doesn't have a very slimy score. It's very kind of tropical and very kind of almost like Afrocentric, kind of that world music craze in the late 80s, early 90s. And to me, it was like, oh, maybe this isn't like a slimy movie. Like this isn't kind of slapsticky music. Like this is kind of like serious, worldly compositions. So yeah, I think the music is, is so key in pushing the aesthetic. Yeah, and this movie not only had like a very zany original score, it also had a few scenes where it used classical pieces to underscore like scenes of like hijinks and slapstick because there the particularly there was one scene where they were fighting over like the power, they kept turning the power on and off. It was like a Mozart piece, I think. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was some very famous piece of classical music. Yes, it's it, it's in Clockwork Orange, and it's the certain classical music pieces become almost memes in their own way. <laughs> yeah, there's some more subtle ones, but yeah, I, I noticed that it had some interesting piano pieces and all that, which speaks to kind of the slapstickiness, you know, because going back to kind of player piano early mm. cinema. Yeah, one thing I noticed as far as like the trope I was going to talk about goes is I noticed like the use of animals in this movie is very slime. It's not only like. The fact that there's, like, animals in the house that normally are not in houses. Like, the, the bully had, like, a big snake he brought and all this stuff. But also the the dog in it was very... Had some very slime house moments. I feel like one of the ultimate slime house jokes that always gets me is, like, a dog reaction shot. And this had at least <laughs> one shot where, like... <laughs> this had at least one shot where, like, the dog tilted his head a little bit, like, in response to something. And I feel like... An animal reacting to, like, slapstick from a human <laughs> is always a very slime house joke. Oh, that's perfect, because I have two uh, animal tropes that are very common in slime house. One is dogs <laughs> grabbing other people's ankles and just, like, dragging them around. That's just... <laughs> oh, yes. And I don't even think I've ever seen yes. our dog really do that where it like doesn't let go but so many movies have little ankle biters doing that <laughs> yeah and then secondly in this one we're gonna is gonna come up again it's when a kid or it's when just a person doesn't matter what age is sleeping and a dog wakes them up by licking their face <laughs> which is also something i've never seen happen in the real world but is very if you saw only movies you'd think that was just like how people woke up it definitely is a thing even my cat bites our hair not bites but like licks our hair when he wants food in the morning so pets licking is a real a real life problem <laughs> no i i guess i know it's a real thing but i just mean the omnipresence where it's just like you know so many i mean inspector gadget that's the first one i think of that has this exact trope and i remember it but i do appreciate that this movie subverts that trope because first they have the dog licking his face and then he thinks the dog is licking his face but yeah. it's the snake uh, a good switcheroo with the... ooh nice i love that idea of the the animal reaction shot because 
a lot of it are a lot of them are just so simple like a dog just like tilting his head to one side like <laughs> and it's like and you know they just shot that dog for like five minutes and like made him do so many reactions and then in editing they're like mm. it's like that kuleshov effect of like oh in this montage like what's going to be like the funniest reaction after this shot like let's let's try the head tilt let's yeah. try the dog just like putting his head down in shame like <laughs> just like let's try the him turning around because he's so embarrassed yeah I, I animal reaction shots are always something that i've i've laughed at just because of how like they're used so much but they're so important for the editing think about the grinch and think about how important it is to have max make an, a reaction to jim carrey like that's such an important part of the punchline it's true yeah because they're like the main two people in that movie they're seeing the whole time so yeah that really helps and i, I think the, i can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head but i think the peak animal reaction shot you they're few and far between is when they use fake puppet dog paws to make the dog like cover his eyes at something i feel like i've seen that in something that i'm trying to recall but it, it might be Little Rascals, but not the 90s Little Rascals. I might be thinking of the 50s R-Gang, definitely. <laughs> Which, that might be the earliest proto-slime house. We could do a, some, a discussion on R-Gang. I'd be interested to take a look. <laughs> cool. I just want to run some other ones that are worth mentioning. Just because yeah, yeah. they're going to come up again and again, and I want, yeah, I want sure. them to be on the table. Number one, libraries as useful places this is something we saw in Monkey Trouble and House Arrest, which we watched recently because we're getting ready to do a, a Monkey Trouble episode soon. This idea that like the kids go to the library to learn about something, and it's very it's very physical. It's it's almost like how we no longer have that relationship with Blockbuster, where we that's where you would go to get movies. But in this era, it was like you want to learn something, go to the library. You have to go there to get stuff. That struck a chord because I'm a bibliophile and I love libraries. I definitely agree with that. I think that. I think that that's more of a sign of the era, but it'll be interesting as we watch some more newer films, how they use the internet as a way to find information. Also, an example I can think of in how like misinterpreted computers were was in the Beverly Hillbillies. There's a moment where Rob Schneider's character, who's the villain, is trying to steal the Beverly Hillbillies oil fortune, and he... It's they use the internet in a way that is as simple as they log onto the computer and they say, Okay, I'm about to transfer all the funds and they press like a button and then it starts to transfer. <laughs> the transfer <laughs> button on your laptop on like a on oh, the no, keyboard. It's, it's, yeah. it's not on the laptop, oh, it's yeah, like it's on the screen, computer. but he just has yeah. to he literally like opens the laptop, mm. logs into the bank, and then just clicks transfer. <laughs> I don't know, it just becomes like a way to like quickly move the plot forward of let's log onto the internet or let's have them use a computer. Whereas like going to the library, it's like an actual step they have to take. Like in Monkey Trouble, which we'll talk about more, there's a lot of key information that is learned in the library. And in this one, it's important because that's how he gets the hot girl in there because he sees her at the library, which is the physical act creates plot momentum. And I also want to throw in, because Jared brought up the idea last time of logging actors whose early roles were Slimehouse. So I think we'd be remiss not to mention Miss Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, and also very early Jennifer Tilly, I think very shortly before Bound made an appearance in this, who actually went on to be in a lot of other Slimehouse and Slimehouse-adjacent movies, I would say, particularly the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion, and I'd say some of like the Chucky movies she's in border on a, a Slimehouse horror hybrid. Hmm. of like, Yeah, because I guess a lot of the humor of those movies, I feel like it's like a more adult Slimehouse. And I think another on that topic of actors is Wallace Shawn, too, who's just, yes. you know, pops up in so many of these Slimehouse movies. Following this, you saw him in My Favorite Martian. He did voice work in Teacher's Pet, which I would argue is a Slimehouse. Yeah, for sure. And he's in a more recent Slimehouse, Furry Vengeance. Ah, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. He's also, there's a there's a movie, Robo Dog, that's, I think, a straight-to-video <laughs> movie with him that I remember seeing. But, yeah, he's always been such a funny actor to me because he'll pop up, like, he's, like, a very well-spoken, like, Ivy League, like, guy that writes, like, <laughs> plays and stuff. But then, like, most of his movie roles, I feel like, are, like, Slimehouse movies. 
his most well-spoken role might have been in Cats and Dogs, The Revenge of Kitty Galore. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's like a, he's up there. I mean, it's funny. They're like the Slimehouse juggernauts, like Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy. And then they're like the essential supporters, which is like, I would put Christian McDonald in there. And I would yeah. also put Wallace Shawn, who are like, they're not the headliners, but they're the people who are in a bunch of these movies and like add that oomph to it. Yeah, for sure. Especially those two as opposites, Chris McDonald being this foreboding, tall, like he plays a prick in this movie. And then Wallace Shawn mm-hmm. is like this little tiny man who they like stuff up a concrete hole. And <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, they're both the ones who I'd say of the adults in the movie are the most turned up as far as like how like exaggerated and comedic their characters are. The other adults, I feel like Jennifer Tilly too, who I think also could be considered in that realm, like yeah. the comic relief parents are turned all the way up and then the other parents are kind of the ones who were there to like actually move the plot along and discuss their relationship troubles it's funny that free vengeance was brought up because like the, the, my second point all signing point i'm gonna bring up is the uh, end credits and uh how all these family slam movies just they like to dance at the end man they get you know free vengeance has a <laughs> super interesting one it's, I think it's like a kid's bop version of Insane in the Membrane by Cypress Hill. <laughs> um, but this movie has, there's a setup that the family got married. You know, the parents and the family like to go on vacation to Hawaii. So in their basement's like Hawaiian themed. I think we mentioned that. It's really geared towards like the average middle American family. I think there was a lot of content around this time, movies and TV shows. They were kind of about like the white working class. I think this movie is really like focused on that kind of family that would go and see a movie like that. Yeah, and yeah. kind of on that the Hawaiian point, which is something we didn't bring up. I think the framework of the movie is very Slimehouse. It's bookended by Grover breaking the fourth wall, speaking to camera in this cool red and yellow Hawaiian shirt about this is the story of how I got my parents back together or whatever. Yeah, that just pushes this idea of this is a kid's story this is from a kid's point of view this is the story of how i did this incredible thing Mm -hmm. i don't know why he's telling it while he's in hawaii (laughs) because they're making a video it's like they're all about making videos you know and that's like that's so of the era too is like they have a vhs camera and they want to make videos it makes the movie feel like oh maybe this is like his home movie of this adventure he went on it's true and in that way, I mean, if you want to make a modern Slimehouse movie, just, you know, have a kid who does cool TikToks and stuff. <laughs> That's, uh, okay, boomer. <laughs> or like, eight, eighth grade, where, like, they have a YouTube channel. Yeah, exactly. I was going to mention the end credits, because that's an important one, and I want to mention the ending feels very Slimehouse, where first they create a media-slash-police sensation. A zillion cop cars come to the house. I feel like that we'll, we'll see more and more of. And following that... The band of misfits all become best friends at school. So you got the group there. I think TJ goes so far as to say, like, we're a family now, which is pretty funny. (laughs) And one of my least favorite movie cliches is when groups of people say, like, oh, we're family now, like Suicide Squad and all that. You know, Fast and Furious created it. And then all these people, like, beat it to death. (laughs) Even though it's a nice sentiment, it's just, it's low-hanging fruit. But in this one, I was actually like, oh, this is endearing. Somehow it worked for me. And then this is something that, again, only happens in the movies where they walk into the cafeteria and everyone just stands up and starts applauding them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about Yeah, yeah. Like, they're the, becoming, like, celebrities for their their hijinks. I feel like that's a very slime house. <laughs> I've never heard of that happening. If anything, these kids would have just been like a cautionary tale if this happened in real life. <laughs> Thinking back to high school or even middle school, any of the pranks that anyone would pull, people would be in the moment think it was very funny, but then once the kid got written up or like sent to the principal's office, everyone was like, shit like we can't do that <laughs> yeah like people didn't talk about like oh those kids that did that thing there's they're awesome like that's crazy like, <laughs> like except whomever at my high school bleached the baseball diamond with a huge dick shape was, <laughs> i still think mm-hmm. i still think that's very funny yeah my high school had a very slime house senior prank now that i think about <laughs> it like they, they, they set up, like, a beach in the parking lot with, like, sand and, like, a kiddie pool and just, like, had, like, a beach party. There was no victim or anything. In retro, that, that feels like something that would be in a, the, the big prank at the end of, like, middle school, the worst <laughs> years of my life. That <laughs> Dog days. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, do we want to wrap it up with some some slime scores? Up, uh, yeah, for sure. Well, I think this movie is really goes in on like that Slimehouse core audience. A lot of the gags we mentioned, um, you know, like the product placement, the um, animal presence, and the uh, kids having the keys to the castle. That's all just it's prime slime. It's not the most polished Slimehouse movie I feel in terms of like production value. It seems a little like. I think compared to a movie like Home Alone or Flubber, I think it's more like on the opposite side of that spectrum. But yeah, I mean, I'd give it a nine. Nelson? It's a it's a ten for me. No no bullshit. When we started out this podcast, before we recorded, we we all made our list of quintessential Slimehouse movies and, and I'll withhold what we put down. But when I see this movie, which I had never seen before, like we mentioned, I'd never even heard of this, this felt to me as quintessential as the other ones that we mentioned there. And just the way it ups the ante, the band of misfits, the the hijinks that ensue, sawing off the floors to make a little video camera enter down and communicate with the parents through video chat. All these little details add up to it. And shout out to the most random IMDb trivia I have ever seen on this movie. Just in all lowercase, it says, this movie has become a cult film. <laughs> <laughs> has it i mean I... every movie every movie you know, just for us, yeah. well Ky- yeah. so kyle mooney just or recently posted some clips of this movie kyle mooney of snl fame oh really yeah which is super random because i didn't really know what it was and then you know now that we've watched it i'm like oh i get it so maybe maybe it does have a cult. I would say that's a stretch. Maybe it'll be a cult film after we share it with people. <laughs> Max, what about your slime score? I'd say my slime score would be similarly high to what we've received so far. I'd probably place it at a nine. I agree with Nelson that it's, I feel like it's a perfect example of like this type of slime house movie, sort of like the post Home Alone, like the kids are in control, like teaching the parents the lesson kind of movie. To me, my personal like favorite kind of slime house tends to be the ones that kind of mix the live action with like animation kind of aesthetic we've talked about with stuff like Flubber, for example, uh, Spy Kids, Cat in the Hat, those kinds of movies. So I'd say, yeah, I agree with Jared. Aesthetically, this movie is a little bland as far as the slime quotient goes for me to give it a perfect 10, but still like the gags, the story, I think it's a perfect example of the the kids in control kind of subgenre, and for that I'd give it a 9. I mean, I'm going to echo all of that. If I could, I would give it a 9.5, but <laughs> I know we said straight scores last time, so I'm going to give it a 9 as well, basically for reasons that have already been said. There's so many tropes in here that are used so much that we'll see repeated time and time again in the years afterwards. But again, I do think, you know, kind of, definitive slime is a little more um a little more crude in its aesthetic but the nine is still pretty high so yeah as christopher mcdonald says in this movie i can get you the house the kids might be a problem (laughs) (laughs) and with that i think that concludes uh, another episode of slime house see you guys next week yeah thanks all thank you so much for listening yeah thank you take it easy y'all stay slimy